Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about a rapper who drifts from city to city, performing with his rap dance crew in any nightclub that'll book him. His name? Sam Foster. When one of the members of his rap dance crew's motorcycle breaks down, they find themselves stranded in a small midwestern town. Other things look up for Sam when he sees and instantly falls in love with a local honor student called Danny Moran. That's me. Though his hopes are temporary dash when he learns that I have a boyfriend called Nick. That evening, Sam and his rap dance crew go to a local bar where me and Nick are watching a local band. Noticing that nobody's particularly enjoying the music, Sam and his crew unplug all their instruments and perform a rendition of one of their musical numbers. The crowd is shocked, but Sam's stage charisma is so overpoweringly powerful that I can't help but be swept off my feet. Sam offers to walk me home after the gig, but I refuse, saying I prefer to walk home alone. However, on my way home, I get attacked by two men. Luckily, Sam uh, is there. He saves me. What a guy. This is what I would be saying if this was a adaptation of the 1991 classic vanilla ice vehicle, Cool as Ice. A title that works on many levels. This is, however, just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran, and join me as a man who likes to stop collaborate and listen and is back with a brand new invention and when something grabs hold of him tightly he flows like a harpoon daily and nightly will ever stop i don't know it's sam foster (laughs) hello what a lovely thing to say about me uh this week we review woody allen's groundbreaking cafe society a film unlike anything we'd seen before intensely personal and yet with universal power an obsessively made meticulously detailed film that redefines the very concept of narrative cinema. He poured his soul into every frame. It's about a young, neurotic Jewish guy who falls in love. It is incredible. Plus, we discuss how fast Michael Cera will be required to talk in Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. We have our lives transformed by five seconds of the powerful trailer for Will Smith's new drama. And we celebrate the fact that being a violent drunk has not harmed Johnny Depp's career. Phew. All that should leave just enough time for me to pitch my own film, which sees me out of my comfort zone as much as Woody Allen is out of his in Cafe Society. It's called My Visit to Pret-a-Manger. It's all about me going to a place I've never been. The ubiquitous London sandwich shop Pret-a-Manger. I choose the chef's special for the week, the vegetarian New Yorker sandwich on rye bread, over the tuna melt, which I went off after they replaced the capers with red onions. I had to really step outside myself to write this film. It was an alienating but ultimately rewarding experience. Look forward to my reading of the epic first scene at the end of this week's episode. Which will happen. I love it.
It's going to be good. You always go to Pret-a-Manger. That's the That's your favourite place. I go there several times a day. <laughs> Campbell got in touch with us. He says, Dear Film Chat, I'm a big fan of the Coen brothers, but for some reason I'd never seen The Man Who Wasn't There until very recently. Brackets. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Are there any films by directors you enjoy which you have been putting off watching for a long time? And if so, what do you make of said film? Thank you very much for writing in, Nick. Cheers, mate. I'm glad you saw The Man Who Wasn't There, which is a good movie. It's a great film. And, uh, yeah, probably the most underseen Coen Brothers movie because you even hear about their worst movies more frequently because people cite them as the bad Coen Brothers movie, you know? Yeah. Like people mention the Lady Killers or Intolerable Cruelty more frequently because they're seen as lesser works, but the money wasn't there. Just for some reason, it doesn't, you know, I don't know why it doesn't come up very much, but it's, it's, a, very good. it's a strange and sort of bewitching and cool movie. Well, in black and white, pretty exciting. Um, I think, I think Mig is asking like, if there are there's directors who you follow, there's like some item in their filmography that you had always meant to see but you'd never watched, yeah. and then you watched it. And what did you make? Well, of? I've got a recent example because I only saw Barry Lyndon a month ago. Oh yeah, that's true. Which and uh, on the, I've got a on the slightly my sort of uh, not theory, but my approach to certain filmmakers is that I know there are these sort of masterpieces waiting for me to enjoy, but I just like I don't really seek them out, and I just assume at some point. I'll get around to it. Yeah. In a similar way, I love Kurosawa, as do you. I do, That's yes. That's why we're such a great team. But there are loads of his acclaimed films I just haven't seen yet. But I like the idea that they're sort of out there for me to discover. And I've got a few more left. That's true. Um, to see. That's one of the pleasures of uh, being relatively young in our lives, you know? Yeah. I think that by the time I get to, like, 80, or probably a bit younger than that even, <laughs> maybe 70, you know, by that time... There'll probably still be many great works of art that I won't know. And you're slightly running out of time to do them, you know? Yeah. I could see myself getting to, like, 85 and just starting to panic and be like, I still haven't read any fucking James Joyce, you know? But the the flip side of this is, like, what like, if you... My friend Chris read James Joyce when he was 16. Well, what that... if... <laughs> Sorry, what if you're, like, 85 and you read Ulysses, like, this is the best book I've ever... <laughs> <laughs> This could have defined my entire life if I'd read this 60 years ago. It could have changed everything. <laughs> You know, <laughs> what was I thinking? In the same way, I might finally watch, yeah. I don't know, Scandal by Kurosawa, but like, oh my God, this has changed what it means for me to be human. Yeah, sure. You probably would have made very different life choices <laughs> yeah, well, if only you'd know. seen Scandal by Kurosawa. Possibly. Yeah. There's a cool quote by Jim Jarmusch, which I can't do directly. But, you, but can you paraphrase it? paraphrase, where he says like he's motivated by the fact that there's like great art out there he hasn't experienced yet. Yeah. And there's like a point in his life where he'd never heard a Beatles song. And then like after that, sure. his life was measurably a lot better. And he's like, there are similar 
you know masterpieces my favorite film i haven't seen yet it's like i think how i put it right it's a cool yeah. way of looking at it definitely no i completely agree with that and i i take some pleasure in the fact that i remember the time when i really got into the beatles yeah and that's like you know a fun moment to look back on sure. and then i like the next thing where you experience something that you hadn't got before and you're like it opens up this whole new world you're like shit this is incredible that's always a um, something to look forward to and you can sort of rely on that's probably going to happen you know that's going to happen again yeah you're going to get that feeling um i'm trying to think if any if there's any good examples i mean there's some like hitchcock classics that i haven't seen oh. so like I, I saw the birds for the first time really recently and it was yeah. really good and or, <laughs> also psycho is also a movie that i hadn't seen until quite recently well um, it's a bit weird in that i would probably now go and see every scorsese movie that came out in the cinema but i have not really made the effort to see any of his films he made in the 80s or whatever sure yeah you know like exclaimed directors like i pretty much see every spielberg movie that comes out but i've never seen like 1941 or or the color purple or always or some of his 80s films yeah um but you know maybe after hours is the best scorsese film i mean could be could be could be could be maybe new york new york is I'm yeah, that's the one everyone. That's you know the only De Niro Scorsese collaboration I've never seen, and all these other ones are good. Actually, I haven't seen Cape Fear. Yeah, that's really good. The Scorsese Cape Fear. Right. Oh, Mick, you oh, really Mick. Oh god, I oh. gotta okay, stop the podcast. I gotta watch all Wait, these movies. This week's podcast is only gonna be five <laughs> minutes long. We got a lot of movies to watch. Oh damn! I'll get back to you once we can answer your question. You know, very completely. So Sam, you brought film chat listeners and my attention to pretty much the most important thing you'll see all year yeah yeah it's like that book the secrets that came out that was all about how to get everything you want just by wishing for it yeah. it's like that in trailer form it's so powerful like when i started watching it i was just like i just all i'd done that so far that day was uh, wake up and watch an episode of the simpsons and uh throw a tomato at the wall just because i was feeling so like silly but then, but then, but what, then happened? what happened? Came, <laughs> what is this thing that came into your life? God, I'm I'm tired. I should have, that should have been better. <laughs> My no. point is, I was in a very trivial mood. No, you. That's what I was trying to. Classic Sunday. That's what I was trying to. Throwing tomatoes against the wall, as you as you want to do. No one's judging. Yeah, exactly. And then I just went onto YouTube and I was just going to watch a video of a dog like eating a frisbee or something. <laughs> something really stupid. Uh, and then before the video, there was an advert, and the advert was a trailer, because my YouTube account knows I love movies, right, and so yeah. they gave me adverts that I actually want to watch, so they showed me a lot of film trailers. And uh, the trailer started playing, it's got a um, quite an emotional soundtrack, it's got a lot of very famous actors in it, everyone is saying really deep shit, constantly, and it's powerful stuff. Let us listen, let us now experience a few moments of the trailer for... Collateral beauty. We're here to connect. Love, time, death. Now these three things connect every single human being on earth. We long for love. We wish we had more time. And we fear death. Did you lose a child, Howard? Howard is a brilliant, creative, charismatic guy. He used to love life. Right now, he hates it. I try to talk to him. I try to reach him, and he's not there. I miss him. He writes letters. Who are they to? Howard doesn't write letters to people. He writes to things. Time. Love. Death. 
kids write letters to Santa Claus, it doesn't mean they're crazy. No, this is therapeutic. Who did you write the letter to? I wrote the letter to death. Nice to meet you. They're charmed, I'm sure. Nope. People write letters to the universe all the time. Most don't get a personal response, but you are. I don't want this. I'm time. I'm a gift, and you're wasting it. You're gonna think I'm crazy, but I'm having conversations. I am love. Don't try and live without me, Howard. I saw you in her eyes when she called me daddy, and you betrayed me. I'm the reason for everything. If you can accept that, then maybe you get to live again. Uh, yeah. So I was already kind of laughing at the trailer a bit um, before it like starts talking to the personification of death, and it's played by Helen Mirren. <laughs> I was like, I was like, what? This is brilliant. First of all, he's kind of nuts. He like writes letters to lo- to concepts. time to concepts yeah he's writing letters to time itself and he's po- he's actually posting them as well what addresses are using i don't know yeah and also to death and love it's it's what's sort of a bit like a christmas carol in that a guy kind of learns stuff about life when he's visited by these apparitions yeah. except like he's a good guy it's like wouldn't christmas carol be better if scrooge was like a nice guy who just like <laughs> gone a bit sad so a lot of the um, characters populating the Film Chat Facebook page notice the resemblance to Christmas Carol. Dan Knoll says, This looks like a Christmas Carol stepped into a teleportation device with Nicholas Sparks. Dougal says, If Christmas Carol had been called Collateral Beauty, it would have sold way more copies and been better. And Chris Young zeroed in on the weirdness of the title and said, Finally, the mashup of Collateral Damage and American Beauty we've all been waiting for. And that sounds like an epic film. That would be epic. Is, is Clash of Damage Steven Seagal movie? Or is that is it like an Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, movie? Arnold Schwarzenegger, I Arnold Schwarzenegger, yeah. This and Suicide Squad are, I think, like the two modes of Will Smith's performances. Yeah. I can either be ass-kicking dude with the wisecracking and the gun shooting, or soulful man. Yeah, on a journey. On a journey. Yeah. And that's like the only two films he has any interest in making. Much prefer the former Will Smith, to be honest with you. He's an odd actor, really. Because yeah. he's got a lot of dramatic chops but just chooses really boring roles well it feels like he wants to make serious dramas but one was he's awesome in them yeah but he's obviously got to be awesome in them not like serious not like lost weekend or something where it's like important but he plays you know he couldn't play a loser ever Yeah, yeah so he just has to play like a heroic guy who everyone loves but is like in trouble or heroic guy sort of shows all the other idiots how awesome he is and it's really sort of life affirming (laughs) but it's like it's like his vision of a serious drama is like a uh, the message in a greetings card or something. Yeah. You know? It's like, it just seems really trite and um, silly and self-serious. Yeah. And Collateral Beauty is a bad name as well. It pretty much is. Like, what is what is that? Is that when you break something and you accidentally create some beauty? Yeah. Collateral Beauty. Collateral Beauty. It's, it's like, like, yeah, you smash a vase, but then the shards arrange themselves into, like, something into awesome. Into a beautiful pattern. Beautiful pattern. Like, whoa, collateral beauty. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm sorry. I yeah. broke your favorite vase. But look at the beauty. Or, like, you run over a kid, but, like, the blood and guts form, like, an amazing mural or something. Yeah. <laughs> well. Well, <laughs> that yeah. kid died, but. Collateral beauty. <laughs> <laughs> I really hope that's the conclusion of this. Of this, like something truly dreadful happens to him. I don't know if we've ever discussed this on the podcast, but Will Smith is 
an a- is he still an A-lister? He sort of is, right? Sure. He's gotten off. Absolutely. Even though he hasn't had a huge hit. I guess Suicide Squad is a, a yeah. financial hit, nothing else. But he's a an A-list actor who rarely works with A-list directors, with the exception of uh, Michael Mann for Ali, which I guess you'd... Like, he's an A-list director. Yeah. Like, I can't think, you know, Tom Cruise works with Spielberg and seeks out interesting people to work with. But I feel like Will Smith is such so committed to the star vehicle. It's like, I am the most important guy on set and i got to find someone to execute my maximum awesomeness. Absolutely. And that is what makes his film sort of like free starish. You know, yeah. he never works with someone with a real distinctive vision. Well, wasn't this the friction around um, uh, Django Unchained? Because Tarantino wanted Will Smith at Django Unchained uh, yeah. initially. But Will Smith um, disagreed over the interpretation of the character. Uh, and Tarantino's like, I'm obviously the director, so... Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm well, one of the most famous auteurs in the world. This is a great so. part, so... Yeah, well, well, I think, <laughs> wasn't it the... I think it was something like that Will Smith objected to... Um, the, him getting retribution at the end. It was supposed to be like love yeah. was supposed to heal all. Even yeah. though in all those movies he kills everybody. I don't understand. Like that's not how Suicide Squad ends. They just kill the person, right? Like <laughs> you're right. Yeah, love doesn't conquer all of that. I don't know why he didn't bring that um, issue to bear on Suicide Squad. To be honest, well, any of his other movies. Well, he's probably read the script for Suicide Squad and he was like, "This is perfect. Not like that Django Unchained script. This is a real movie." Yeah. Um, oh well. Yeah. He's maybe Carnival Beauty. One. Maybe you know. It's just a bad trailer. It's actually a masterpiece. Could be. Let's not prejudge it. It's got Michael Pena in it, and Edward Norton is in it, and everyone's in it. And what do all those guys sign up? Have any? Can you name a single bad movie that Edward Norton has been in? I didn't think so. Uh, nope. Don't think too hard about that. <laughs> Superhero films announced, casting rumors leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tips. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. Quick talky, shouty man with smart people um, snapping at each other. Auteur Aaron Sorkin is stepping up to do his first. Uh, directed film first directed film first film he's directing himself the first film that has <laughs> ever been, been directed, directed. <laughs> Aaron Sorkin <laughs> is gonna do it they Can finally you believe that they finally thought oh, what if we get someone in charge of this thing it'll be so much easier and who should we get <laughs> Aaron Sorkin the genius behind the newsroom so he's making a film which obviously he's written called Molly's Game and Molly's Game is um, adapted from a memoir of a lady called Molly. Molly Bloom. She, Molly Bloom. She was um, a kind of fascinating character who was a world-class skier, and then she became a nationally ranked business mogul at 21. And then after missing out on joining the Olympics team, she ended up um, making millions running the world's most exclusive high-stakes poker game. And she did that for eight years before the FBI shut it down. Right. So that is an interesting story. It'd be interesting what Sorkin does with that. So Jessica Chastain and Idris Elba are already on board. But now Michael Serra. Remember Michael Serra? Sure. He was everywhere in the mid to late noughties. He is um, signing on and it would play a guy called Player X. <laughs> an elite... I find that really funny as that's Michael Serra's character. <laughs> yeah. An elite card handler and celebrity who develops a unique relationship with uh, Jessica Chastain's Molly Bloom. Yeah. I mean, I love Michael Serra. I think he's great. Yeah, Michael Serra is fantastic. He's a great... Uh, I mean, he's a great comedian, and he's probably got some dramatic chops. No, I think like, he's a. I think he's a really, really good actor. Like, he's yeah, a, not, I mean, I've not, never seen him do a straight dramatic role. I mean, no. Well, he was in that like horror film called Magic, which has got a bizarre Magic, trailer. Magic, yeah, Magic, Magic. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is what I mean. Um, it's like it's been a while but, since he's done like a mainstream 
movie. He's kind of gone off and done these interesting indie films. Yeah. And now this is like a bit more of a well, he's major been in, I think he's picture. been in a couple of the sort of mainstream comedies and stuff in like small roles. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, he hasn't like since Scott Pilgrim, I don't know what he's done that's had a great impact. Do you think he could be able to handle the snap talking dialogue well he seems like quite a sorkin actor to me like he's you know he always he plays people who are um usually really clever and um have a dry wit and you know a patter to the way that they speak but he is great at awkward pauses yeah and there are no true. awkward pauses and sorkin there's pauses. no there's no room. no room for pauses. no one ever has to think about what they're gonna say <laughs> no it's just bang 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 yeah yeah, I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit worried that it will make him annoying because, like, that's the impact that Sorkin has on his actors. You... I have to say that reading what this movie is about, it sounds like it's going to be so smug and irritating. <laughs> like, this um, woman, Molly Bloom, I mean, sounds super fascinating, the story of her life and stuff, but it also sounds like a TED Talk by the world's smuggest person, you know? <laughs> Like, not only am I, did I become a billionaire through poker, I'm also a world champion skier. And I started <laughs> as a waitress. So it's like, I'm I'm perfect at everything. And it's like a rags to riches story. And she's probably, you know, very smart. And because it's poker, it's all these like high ego uh, people snapping at each other and betraying. I don't know. It sounds like it's going to be a fucking irritating film, basically. <laughs> like... <laughs> But Michael Sir is very likable. Michael Sir is likable, and Jessica Chastain, who's in sort of every film now, but she's good. And uh, Idris Elba is obviously. Great. I think I think I'm more excited to see Idris Elba in a Aaron Sorkin movie than Michael Sir in an Aaron Sorkin movie because I yeah. kind of feel like Sir in a Sorkin movie, I know how it's going to be. Sure. Whereas Idris Elba is is more someone who's just like overcomes mediocre material. And, yeah. You know, with with his charisma. Exactly, he can bend any role into his just. Something. It would just be it's entertaining in some way. Like yeah, he's yeah, got that star screen charisma. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad he's in it. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it turns out. What do you think? Do you think it's going to be? Uh... I don't know. Like my um, mileage on Sorkin sort of oscillates between. I find him very annoying and sometimes okay. Yeah. I think it's because he's directing it. You know, if like David Fincher was directing it, like because he really undercut the script. Sure. Yeah. In Social Network, and I think that's why it's good. It's the direction that makes it. I don't think that script equals that movie on paper. Like, Abs- it's, it's all Fincher. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's always one of those things of like, you look at a film and you're like, obviously the director changed everything and he is the genius. But I think if you compare it to the other, or you compare it to Steve Jobs, like it's his stamp is what made it. Well, I but think if it's Sorkin yeah. doing it. If it's Sorkin directing his own movie, then there's yeah. no one to... Uh... <laughs> no one to rein him in. Yeah. Well, I think, I think that without having to deconstruct the social network and see exactly which bits of Fincher and which is Sorkin, like the sensibility of David Fincher is quite a nice contrast to that of Sorkin. So yeah, yeah. The, the mix of the two in one movie makes it seem a bit different and interesting. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Danny, are you a fan of Tupac Shakur? 
Am I? Yes. Yes. That song, California. California Love. Love. Yeah, it's not California Girls. That's a Beach Boys song. <laughs> yeah. Um. Anyway, someone that we both know a lot about, clearly. He's got a couple movies coming out based on his exciting life. Uh, one of them is this film called All Eyes on Me, another trailer I watched recently, also quite powerful. Um, and another film set presumably after the events of All Eyes on Me, which is like a biopic, is uh, going to star Johnny Depp. He's set to star in a film where he plays a detective investigating the murders of Tupac and the notorious B.I.G. Wow. The film is going to be called Labyrinth, which is a bold move for a uh, movie when there's already a existing very camp film starring david bowie called labyrinth yeah well it's based on a book and i think i looked up the book cover and it was like la was in a different um color oh so it's like la because they were both shot in drive-by shootings in la i see but i think but it's not like clear that's pronounced la i think it's just that's like a flourish of the uh person designed the front cover yeah maybe they'll um just there's a note somewhere insisting that it's got to be stylized this way for the posters and stuff so that people can get it yeah but yeah but notorious big was a new york guy correct yes it was, I mean, there, there, it was a feud between the two of them now, two incredibly middle class white guys will try <laughs> and cast your minds back to uh, yeah it was well i think there was like a rivalry it wasn't violent they were killed by different factions but there was like these similarities and there were both young guys who died around the age of 25 both in drive-by shootings both after releasing maybe two or three albums each there's like these weird parallels but yeah biggie's from new york and so he was east coast so johnny depp is going to play this guy called russell pool he's this la police detective um and uh investigated both notorious big and tupac's murders and then after um, as he was sort of looking into them, he discovered corruption in the LA police force and it became this sort of broader story. Right. So it sounds cool. It sounds like it's got a lot of possible angles to take, you know, police corruption and like gang warfare sure. and music culture and, uh, you know, presumably like racial injustice and uh, but that sort of stuff. Is Johnny Depp the man? <laughs> is he the man? Is he the man to do all these? Well, is this, I don't know. Is it? Is it sort of... Is there any irony in the fact that this uh, um, movie sort of tangentially about um, like these big like uh, class issues and uh, these two black heroes who died is like the star is just this incredibly rich white guy <laughs> who's most recently known for beating his wife? I don't know. I don't know. I think the perfect story for Johnny Depp. Well, his personal issues aside, it's like I find it hard hard to buy Johnny Depp as just a normal guy like he's rarely played with such maybe donnie brasco like mm. how many normal characters has he played in his career full stop well certainly not very recently and i mean he plays someone like ed wood like relatively straight you know but, yeah that's but true he probably wouldn't do that now it'd be like a crazy performance but the thing is like now i can't imagine him his um his like johnny deppness is a bit of a barrier to you know he can't escape his just weird persona yeah in roles i mean i didn't see white black master was called but well you, you look at the trailer and it's like, even though he's covered in prosthetics and stuff it's very johnny Deppy, you know yeah and, yeah so i don't know if i could buy him as like a diligent cop i don't know it's just uh maybe like an eccentric cop who um wore hats and, and he's like really and drunk stuff. covered he's in really, bangles and hats he's really drunk all the time <laughs> it'd be perfect <laughs> It's just, yeah, constantly high and slurs all his words. Or like, like a pirate or something. 
if he played it as more of a kind of pirate as a cockney pirate yeah or as some kind of um yapping mad hatter type or willy wonka yeah, yeah. Um, he just has to give this detective a few eccentricities to uh, really run with yeah he should just be shirtless and talk in a really bad native american accent maybe it's yeah. an interesting part of like recent culture the biggie teapack thing yeah, and not and like, something that I know know that much about. I feel like I would my life would be enriched by seeing this film. Yeah, just on that basis. Cause... And there's like a huge thing about police corruption in the '90s in LA, particularly. That's like right before Rampart and like all that controversy. That was late '90s. Well, there's oh. there's already been some fun movies made about LA police corruption, like yeah. LA Confidential, for example, and um, Changeling. It's also kind of about that pretty shitty police force by all accounts across <laughs> different eras. <laughs> Apart from one cop, his name, Russell something. Russell, Russell Poole. Poole. Russell Poole. Heroic. But yeah. he's like a pirate Native American um, As, uh, chocolate factory you owner. Kill Tupac. Uh, <laughs> do you kill Biggie? Uh, <laughs> imagine the performance would be a bit like that. When he catches Tupac's killer. <laughs> but he hasn't yet found Biggie's. Uh, <laughs> you kill Tupac's. Uh, but did you kill Biggie? <laughs> I can only think of him <laughs> like now my when I think of Joey Depp I just think of him apologising for his dogs oh yeah <laughs> well that's his most that's iconic ro- that's his most iconic performance Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw you're gonna hear them in a moment or so there could be angry disagreements but their views are normally quite close joint review shared between two podcast brothers do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other the lot is on Okay, it's that time of the year again, folks. Woody Allen movie time! Yay! So exciting. What's he come out with this time? A passable film or a terrible film? Those are his two modes these days. This one is called uh, Cafe Society. It's got slightly better reviews than uh, Woody's last couple of movies. So, you know, it's fair to say that we went to see it with a little more hope. A little more of a spring in our step than usual. And it stars Jesse Eisenberg, who's been a sort of Woody Allen avatar character before in the really terrible uh, (laughs) um, To Roam With Love. And uh, this time he plays this young Jewish guy who uh, is from New York. And he moves out to L.A. to get a job there. Um, and he starts working for his uncle, who's a big-shot Hollywood producer, played by Steve Carell, and he meets a young girl who is Steve Carell's assistant, um, played by... Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. Good. Well done. I was just testing your memory of the movie there. Um, And they hit it off. Um, And this is a clip of them in a Mexican bar, and Jesse Eisenberg being a smooth operator. Uh, I don't think that's a very good idea, actually. No? I'm seeing someone. Oh. I didn't, what, what's he like? Doug is a journalist. Oh. I just thought since you had so much free time on your hands. He travels a lot. And I really like spending my time with you. I hope that's okay. You know, you're very sweet. Have you heard that before? You have this deer in the headlights quality. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Well, if I was your boyfriend, I would not travel. Or if I did, I would take you with me. I hope he knows how to kiss you and all the rest. It's between us. 
searing dialogue. I think that that was a well-chosen clip of the movie by you. Well done. Thank you. Because it illustrates a couple of issues with it. I think part of the problem is that Jesse Eisenberg is naturally not a terribly likable guy. And he doesn't have the um, automatic charm of... He doesn't sort of make you want to like... You know, Woody, Woody Allen's characters work when you feel a bit sorry for them. And yeah. that's what you want to see because they're natural life's underdogs. And Jesse Eisenberg doesn't have that quality. And also the way that the character is written, I feel, is um, like he's just a bit of a creepy, pushy dick, you know? And that's how he acts. And so yeah. it doesn't fit that usual mold of your Woody Allen-esque he, hero. Yeah, he's not a good surrogate for the Woody Allen part. Yeah. But he's he's kind of miscast and misplaying it, I think. He's miscast and he's misplaying it. And I also just don't think it's that well written. You know, like Yeah, yeah. There's a lot I, of factors not working in his favor. Well, like the way the way that the character is written is doesn't um you know, in that that's the sort of scene where you'd expect to be reading for him as someone who's, you know, awkward, doesn't know how to talk to girls or whatever. Um but you never get that feeling throughout yeah, the yeah. movie. I think the weirdest thing about Cavi Society is the fact that it re, um, retreads endless tropes from Woody Allen's own career. And yet, like 48 films in or something, his central neurotic Jewish character isn't neurotic enough. Like, what's going on? He's like the most neurotic filmmaker in the world with his classic neurotic uh, Jewish New Yorker character. Yeah, yeah. And he isn't very neurotic. Come on, what are, you, what are you doing? It's the one thing you rely on you That's the one for. thing. Yeah. It's got, as you said, like a slightly warmer reception than his most recent films. And I think if you judge it by Woody Allen's recent standards, it's okay. But if you judge it by the merits as an actual film, <laughs> which you should, yeah. it's pretty bland. And his films recently have been so flat in conception. It's like Woody Allen is doing the least amount of effort in his respective roles that it's quite an easy film to review in that you can just pinpoint people who are doing good work. So, like, he's made not much effort directing well, and writing. there's any life injected into the film. But, like, yeah. the uh, cinematography by Vittorio Stataro, I hope I got that right, who was the DOP of Apocalypse Now. He's, like, this awesome Italian legend. He is, like, making this beautiful-looking film, and no one is really meet- meeting him halfway. The material is not meeting him halfway. Yeah. And similarly the performances the dialogue is so flat that if any of them make an impression it's like just by sheer force of will definitely yeah and uh steve carell squeezes every single drop of humor there is in his role he's kind of brilliant i really <laughs> admired him i feel me like... too me too because i was sort of when you're watching it i was like um you don't really think about it until he does like one thing where it slightly comes to life and you know that that was you know he brought that to the yeah. role you know um, and the rest of the time, it feels like this sort of workmanlike stuff. And then uh, there's this one moment where Steve Carell's talking about um, how much he loves his wife. And he's like, she's wonderful. She's wonderful. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> he just like goes a bit OTT on that one line. And it suddenly like, like sure. wakes you up a bit and you're laughing. You're like, shit, this is like a vision of a different, more engaging film. Yeah, he was good. And um, Corey Stahl, who played Hemingway in Midnight in Paris and has a small role as Jesse Eisenberg's brother, has like a one note character close about five minutes but he's so charismatic that he kind of makes an impression with it yeah and um christian stewart and blake lively who is the other hot babe who is inexplicably attracted to eisenberg um both have enough charisma to overcome their underwritten parts yeah i mean i thought they were fine like i thought i don't know maybe i'm just <laughs> <laughs> i just thought they were good they yeah, were like sure. 
they had a certain energy about them. They had a little bit of pep to them, mm. which was not which was lacking in the film. I I found it like a tough watch. I have to say, I just like it's I he's someone who uh, gets so much uh, stick constantly for uh, being a sort of like lame or weird guy who won't just leave the film industry alone. Um, plus the um, recurring scandals around his like uh, child molestation accusations and that kind of thing. And because I loved his uh, classic movies so much, um, and uh, I'm always like kind of wanting him to produce something great. And a lot of the um, attacks on his output are like really lazy and irritating. So it's just like it's something really disappointing about seeing his movies when they are just like really really bad. And I thought this one was pit- particularly terrible. I, I haven't seen uh, Magic in the Moonlight or Rational Man. Okay, it's a step up from that. So maybe, yeah, well, that does don't. not doesn't make me want to see those at all. Um, but I don't know. I found I think uh, basically the issue is that um, it's really really lifeless, and the the dialogue is like astoundingly wooden. Like they just constantly say exactly what they're thinking. Every scene is amazingly functional. Like, you know exactly what the scene is for before it even begins, you know. Like, for example, the, the he meets Kristen Stewart and then um, she shows him about the town. And it's like, obviously, this is like a boy meets girl sequence. Mm. But he did not bother to come up with any kind of business for them to do while they're going around. So, like, in a normal movie, there would be they would be going out and like something would happen and then they would bond over it sure yeah like there'd be something would be going on <laughs> something 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 would be going on but all on. they do is like there's like a selection of really short scenes where they just chat and it's like they they're just getting along and like that's all that's fucking happening it's just well the film isn't really about anything yeah it's just like passing the time yeah you feel like he made it to pass the time and that's all it's designed <laughs> to do is pass the time and I don't know. I think I'm, I'm maybe slightly more up on the film than you are. Maybe I'm just like, I've seen all Woody Allen's films. So I'm just acclimatized to a, to a lower standard of Woody Allen. Yeah. Um, and it's like, it's beautifully shot. And it's, you know, like every Woody Allen film is 90 minutes. I didn't like, it didn't drag too much for me, but I just sort of like, you know, very forgettable. Just, yeah. Well, as I was kind of writing notes for this, I was like, I'm, this is more effort than, <laughs> yeah. than is worthy of this film in a way. Like, I don't know. I think it's the, I think I would be okay with it if it was um, at least... You, you can make, like, a sort of film that's about nothing and it's just supposed to look pretty and be fun people, like, exchanging comments and stuff like that. If there's some fizz to it, and this one was... The bubbles were, you know, had run dry, like, a long time ago. And also, some of the scenes as well, I found, like, you know, I had, like, issue with the content of them, you know. And most of the time there wasn't that much content, but like there's this scene when uh, there's this bizarre scene, which has nothing to do with the film at all. The rest of the plot of the movie um, where Jesse Eisenberg arrives in L.A. at right the beginning. And then like he's lonely and he calls up a prostitute and um, she comes around and there's just this really strange sequence. And I don't know how it was intended to be taken. I guess it's supposed to be just a bit of farcical banter kind of thing. But um he sort of summons her in and then like uh, she's never done it before so she's kind of nervous and he's angry with her for being late and he kind of like yells at her a bit and he's kind of mean to her and she's really apologetic to him and he's like oh no I, you know i just don't want to do it or whatever and he just kind of acts like a bit of a bully throughout yeah and um she starts crying and it's like this is a messed up scene you know like this guy's horrible <laughs> and then uh eventually he's like okay let's do it let's just do it and then and then he ends and then he sort of says no in the end because um 
finds out that she's Jewish. And that's like the punchline to the scene. Like he won't sleep with a Jewish woman or something, Jewish prostitute or something like that. But it's just like, it's so strange because the way it comes across, I don't know what Woody intended this to be taken as, but it just comes across as like this horrible guy bullying a poor like woman and making her cry. And then like, that's this kind of, that's one of the first scenes you see this character in. Establishing the character. That establishes him. And you're like, man, he's really awful. Um, and then I was wondering maybe that was the point, but then it isn't. <laughs> and he just like gets a job really easy and then becomes incredibly rich really easily. And like, you know, nothing yeah. badly happens to him. I don't know. It's just drama is conflict, Woody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Conflict. I was just imagining someone going to see it, like not liking Woody Allen and knowing that I liked him. And then them looking at me the whole them. time and being like, fuck you. Why did you bring me to this? Why did you bring me this? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I can't really disagree with any of your points. Yeah. And I and I don't. <laughs> That's why I can't disagree with them. <laughs> <laughs> because I agree with them. Yeah. Maybe you could, like, just get this on Blu-ray and print out a couple of the shots, you know, and look at them. Yeah. Put all his stand-up album from the 60s and mute just the look movie. At, mute the film. <laughs> and just somehow make a different film in your head between those two things. When he was at his sharpest and most inventive. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, well. Till next year, Woody. Oh, well. See you next year, Woody. So I guess we will see Woody next year. Has it actually? Do you know? Do you know if he has a movie coming out next year? Well, I assume, but he's got this Amazon series. Well, right? exactly. So replaced... he's doing, but like, how little work does he put into things? Because he's both starring in and has written and directed this six-part miniseries for Amazon. But has he found time to do a movie as well? I'm sure he has. He probably has. <laughs> what else is he going to be doing? He probably has. It's probably going to be the film of his career. Yeah, so he's in his Amazon series, which you discussed before. A Crisis in Six Scenes. Crisis in Six Scenes. And um, he obviously couldn't think of a title. Yeah. Uh, Six Scenes and there's just... a guy who has a crisis. <laughs> a great idea for a title. <laughs> it's called Manhattan 2. I know, that's no good. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's called TV Show I Wrote. <laughs> Yeah, it's got Miley Cyrus in it, quite interestingly. Yeah, and they've good. just dropped this trailer today, as of the time of recording, uh, which features Miley and Woody together on screen for the first time. And the chemistry... Electric. Palpable. Yes. Palpably electric. Kind of dangerous, actually. Yeah, you I wouldn't... taste the electric. Yeah, if w- make sure that you're wearing socks when you watch this trailer. <laughs> yeah. and Or something. <laughs> you're gripping a block of wood, yeah. or... Don't I don't, watch I don't know anything about electricity. <laughs> Don't, yeah. watch, don't watch it with like your bare ankles in a puddle. Anyway, the big I, did, I, didn't, I didn't bring my A game to this particular podcast. Let's be honest. You just brought a game. I brought a game. Yeah, this this chemistry the two have is incredible, and this is obviously <laughs> going to be Miley's best work to date, both in TV or film. It's really funny to watch actually the trailer because it's like Woody Allen's now astonishingly low energy output. Coming at a time when Miley Cyrus has just redefined her career is like this crazy, wild woman. Everything she does is extreme and confrontational, you know, and it's like, next move, Woody Allen TV series. Well, exactly. <laughs> I'll say lines yeah, like, she's... hello, and, <laughs> and I'm tired. Where's my Valium? <laughs> well, that's why she's a maverick, right? 
That's the thing you'd least you expect her to do. Down. Yeah, like the last thing you saw her do is like licking Robin Thicke's ass on stage <laughs> or something like that. And now she's like sitting making a sandwich while Woody Allen asks her what kind of bread she's using. Or <laughs> I really find that very funny. Anyway. <laughs> no, she didn't do that. But there's something along those lines. I'm, I can't, I didn't keep track of exactly what mine is up to. Her movie careers have been a, a bit, well, not check it because that would imply some hits, but <laughs> check it if all, if, all, if all the balls were black. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just slabs of black. Just um, a big slab of black. We watched a bit of So Undercover recently. We watched that. We watched LOL. We watched LOL. LOL making, I've seen the first 20 minutes of the Hannah Montana, the movie. Oh, have you? And what was lacking from all these films, we now know, is Woody. That's Woody Allen. Because they make such an incredible on-screen pair. Exactly. It's like she was just like hardy, but she hadn't found Laurel yet. Mm. And the films are shit. And yeah. then Laurel came on the scene. This is a weird analogy I'm making here. Yeah, have you seen the first 20 movies of Stan Laurel's career? Terrible. When he was in a double act just called Laurel? <laughs> Awful. Awful. No one to bounce off. So, obviously they're going to work together much more in the future, but they're like, why wait to make something new with today's technology? We'll just put Woody in sure. the previous Miley Cyrus films. Yeah, Jeff Bezos, uh, the founder and owner of Amazon, was watching the rushes for Crisis in Six Scenes. And he was rubbing his hands together and thinking, I can add to my pile of gold. All we got to do is do a remastered George Lucas-esque re-release of all of uh, Miley Cyrus's classic films and digitally insert Woody as some of the key characters replacing the original actors. Yes. And we have exclusive clips from those films. The first one is from the Hannah Montana, the movie, classic film, now. And the second one is from So Undercover. In yeah. the first one, Woody Allen's replacing the role of a sort of handsome farmhand. Played by Lucas Till. Played by Lucas Till. And then the second one, so undercover, he's playing a flamboyant hairdresser who has got to transform Miley Cyrus from a sort of dowdy tomboy into a sort of airhead valley girl. Yeah, <laughs> which is part of the plot of that film. Part of the plot of that film. Yeah. So enjoy those. Enjoy those. And we'll be back next week. Danny will have seen Bridget Jones' Baby, yeah. I believe. Yeah, I said I was seeing this week, but it turns out it's not out until Friday. So, so you couldn't see it. It wasn't out. It wasn't out. And um, I'll see some film. I don't know what yet, but... Hey, you see some film. I'll see some film and, and review said film. So, until then, good night. Good night. That voice inside your head saying, You're just a... You're just a dummy. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Don't stop. I'm going. No, don't worry about it. I was just goofing off. No, wait. I, I think it's great that you're still doing that singing thing. Singing thing? What singing thing? Come on. Everyone knows that's all you ever wanted to do, and uh, you've actually got a nice voice. So what do you think of the song? I wrote it. Song? Yeah, that thing I was just singing. Did I mention I wrote it? It uh, seems that you got most of the notes right, so way to go, Miley. Most? Who's this? I'm busy. 
You're busy? No, Molly, her name is Busy. She works out of the New York office. So, what's this look we're rocking? Is it a kind of New York Jewish left-wing liberal intellectual Central Park West Brandeis University the socialist summer camps and the, the father of the Ben Sean drawings right in the, the really you know strike oriented kind of red diaper the, the hobo chic stop me before I make a complete imbecile of myself I don't get it okay you have to like try on all of these clothes fine no, no, Molly, Molly, no. You, you say totally, or you say it's shorter cousin, totes, what you want to say fine. Hmm. Okay, then, let's go. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.